From Sarasota Memorial, this is HealthCast. A healthy dose of information from experts you can trust. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HealthCast. I'm Allison Warren. Thank you for joining us as we continue to discuss the important information people need to know amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about the complicated rehabilitation process for patients who do survive COVID-19 and the long hospital stays that sometimes come along with the treatment of this disease. Our guest today, Dr. Alexander Bajoric, a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Dr. Bajoric, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Allison. Appreciate it. So can you start by telling us some of the challenges faced by patients who have been fighting or who have successfully beaten COVID-19? It's really multifold. There's a psychological component of recovering from COVID. Um, Oftentimes their stay in the hospital is multiple weeks, multiple months. And I just, the focus kind of changes when you go from the hospital to rehab. So in the hospital, the question really is, am I gonna survive this? And a lot of the times they may not even be cognizant of that if they're, for, for instance, sedated under a ventilator, under ventilation. When they get to rehab, the question shifts, and now it's how do I recover, how do I regain my quality of life? And what we've noticed is they're struggling, yes, with what you would expect, pulmonary endurance. And we can talk a little bit about the the physiology of what we think is going on there. Um, But we also know that it's affecting their entire body. And this might be an inflammatory effect, um, but it may also be the virus targeting those actual organs. So their heart is affected, their kidney is affected. And so it's, it's making them more medically complex, um, and it's leading to prolonged symptoms, which can increase their anxiety, which is already um, prolonged after a, a long stay, uh, especially facing, um, in some cases, cl- close to death. And so when they come to rehab, they're really kind of at the bottom, and they're looking for a way to move forward. Um, and we can kind of discuss a little bit more about what that process looks like. Yeah, so it's important to note that not every COVID-19 patient needs hospitalization. There are many who are treated at home or or stay home. The ones that come to the hospital, though, do tend to be the worst cases of COVID-19, of course. So when they do come to the hospital and they do have those long hospitalizations, what does rehabilitation for those patients who have fought COVID-19 look like? And you're absolutely right. We're seeing variety in the ways that people are both responding to the infection, but also how they recover from the infection. Some patients, elderly patients with comorbidities, you would expect to have a, a prolonged course, are actually going home um, you know, after they're cleared by the, the hospitalist in the acute side. Um, we're a rehab hospital attached to the acute side. It actually looks pretty similar to a lot of our other, our other rehabilitation patients. And um, just for yourself and for the audience, I can talk a little bit about what a rehabilitation course looks like on an inpatient side. Um, there are different levels of rehab. There's inpatient rehab. Um, there's, of course, outpatient rehab, typically in an office. Um, there's home health therapy. There's subacute rehabilitation, which you're thinking typically of a skilled nursing facility. Um, there's long-term care facilities. Um, so there's a, a whole spectrum To come to inpatient rehab, generally they have medical complexity. So we might say for a COVID patient, their oxygen requirements have uh, increased. They also need to be able to tolerate high intensity therapy. 
the the Center for Medicaid Services has changed the requirements of that somewhat to cope with the evolving uh, pandemic. And so because of that, we're able to take on more patients at rehab who were maybe not perfectly fitting under the criteria that we had to follow very strictly before. Once a patient comes to rehab, the average length of stay for, say, a pulmonary rehabilitation candidate, this might be someone who's going through COPD exacerbation, for instance, but in this case, COVID, probably about two weeks, 10 to 14 days, um, about three hours of therapy a day. So it's a physical therapist. Um, I kind of like to describe it as the waist down, uh, walking with assistive device, just to simplify it, an occupational therapist, waist up, so using your, your arms to get dressed, um, toileting, bathing, what we call activities of daily living. So these are things that you need to be independent, to, that we most of us take for granted every day. And then a speech-language pathologist actually has been involved in these cases as well. And that's really for two reasons. One, what you might expect when patients have been intubated and placed on a ventilator, um, the, there's what we call iatrogenic, which is a fancy way of saying um, we did it on our own accidentally or we needed to. They've had issues with hoarseness or swallowing because of the intubation or mechanical ventilation, of course, especially if it's prolonged. The other component that we have our speech-language pathologists focus on, though, and this was a, a little unexpected, is we're seeing a lot of cognitive changes in these COVID patients. And what I mean by that is their problem solving and memory is markedly reduced, or in some cases mildly so. We're not exactly sure of what's causing this. Um, the catch-all term is called encephalopathy, and we see that in some elderly patients, for instance, after a urinary tract infection or prolonged hospital stays, so we're kind of blaming it on that. But I think that the research is still premature to know whether or not COVID is actually affecting them cognitively. How do patients get an individualized approach in the rehabilitation pavilion at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, or is the treatment very similar for each of these COVID-19 patients? It is and it isn't. Um, it's separate and it's more individualized than a non-pulmonary patient. So what, what we really focus on, in addition to the activities of daily living, uh, we focus on their pulmonary capacity. There's something called VO2 max, which we're not able to directly measure, but it the theoretically is what we're looking at. And so you may have heard of this in relation to, say, athletes um, with a higher VO2 max or known for higher endurance. Um, you know, some of the, the, the doping cyclists would take um, blood products to increase their VO2 max. So the idea is you're utilizing oxygen at a higher rate. Why does that matter? It matters because um, it means that everything from your lungs to your heart are functioning better down to the cellular level. And when it's working at a cellular level, your energy is more efficient, your energy levels are higher, and you have less fatigue. What we're noting in past studies for SARS, for MERS, for uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome, this is already really well studied, and obviously we can rely a little bit on that data. We're seeing that their VO2 maxes are markedly reduced compared to controls and compared to other rehab patients. So for them, and this is what we're seeing in our patients, when they're standing at the edge of the bed, for instance, this is an incredibly taxing event. And if they're able to do it once, then maybe 15 seconds later, they're done for the day. And that's because their oxygen capacity and their VO2 max, their energy efficiency is really diminished. So because of that, we have to kind of adjust our approach individually with our PT and OT and speech. They may start off the rehabilitation with just very basic getting to the edge of the bed, 
maybe standing. Um, we're also seeing in the deconditioning process, and forgive me if I'm going off a lot of tangents here, in the deconditioning process, this, this concept called orthostatic hypotension starts happening. And so the idea is your blood vessels aren't responding to changes in position, so you stand up. For instance, if you stood up and you feel really lightheaded. We're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of oxygen requirements. So because of that, the beginning of the rehab stay for COVID patients tends to be a lot more protracted. It's, it's very slow. It's very steady. We're not getting them up and doing um, you know, treadmill walking the first two weeks. We're really focusing on two things. One, can we build up their endurance, VO2 max? Two, can we decrease their oxygen requirements, which goes hand in hand with that. And we've been pretty successful, thankfully, with um, any COVID patients that have come to rehab after they've been cleared. They've done really well. We were able to get them off oxygen or to their baseline oxygen requirements and get their endurance up to where they're walking 300, 400 feet, but certainly in household distances. You briefly alluded to the fact that this can really affect the patient's entire body, though. It's not just a pulmonary disease. Can you talk a little bit about how that affects their rehabilitation? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we see when a patient's been in the hospital for a month, particularly if they're laying in a bed on a ventilator, even with all the precautions that they do on the acute side, which is excellent work, there tends to be some um, co uh, comorbidities and consequences of that prolonged immobility. So you're laying in a bed, you get contractures, you get something called critical illness myopathy. It's just a fancy way of saying your nerves and your muscles don't work as well. You may actually lose muscle mass. Um, and we see a lot of that. There's been varied studies on this, but as much as say 1%, just to throw a number out, 1% of your muscle mass may be lost every day of being immobile laying in bed. So after two, three weeks, four weeks, these patients have a lot decreased muscle mass. What, that, what goes along with that is the muscle is no longer protecting the bone. That bone is now having a lot more pressure with the skin. You get pressure ulcers and you take that and then coordinate it with poor nutrition. You have poor skin healing and pressure ulcers and then a tendency to contractions. So one of the things that we actually recommend the acute side uh, do, and that's why we send our acute therapist there, we ask them to, to go ahead and mobilize as early as possible the arms and legs. So we talked a little bit about the cognitive changes that you can see, the swallowing dysfunction, Swallowing dysfunction, of course, can lead to aspiration pneumonia, which we've seen a lot of these patients that go through COVID, aspiration pneumonia, a whole other seven days of, of recovering from a bacterial infection at now, and it's just one insult on top of the other. And unfortunately, um, you do everything you can to prevent that, and there are various uh, ways that we do that. The heart has also been thought to be affected. Um, I'm not as up-to-date on the research as some of our, our infectious disease and pulmonary cardiac uh, colleagues, but my understanding is it could be, yes, the inflammatory response, this systemic inflammatory response affecting the heart, but they, there's some concern that there may even be more targeted approach from the virus that's causing potential demand ischemia, which means that the heart is, is kind of like a sore muscle and it's being stressed past what it's comfortable with. Um, or potentially even heart failure temporarily. Um, we've seen a little bit of this, even in patients who have their hearts are intact and they have no prior heart issues, maybe some blood pressure issues, which in and of itself is a risk factor. We are seeing um, edema in their legs, so swelling in their legs, um, fluid collection in their lungs, 
And so they have required diuretics to get that fluid off. So we think it's affecting the heart as well. It's affecting appetite. Um, you've heard of probably the poor smell and poor taste in COVID patients. Um, that in conjunction with the systemic effect of being in the hospital for a month and having that inflammatory response leads to poor appetite and poor nutrition, um, often slowing down of the bowels. Um, so these are all the fun things that you get to experience as a COVID patient. Um, increased risk of urinary tract infections being in a hospital. Um, and of course, uh, really just the overall deconditioning of an entire body that can be really tough to struggle with for that first couple weeks to months of recovery. You mentioned during inpatient rehabilitation, a patient may have PT, OT, speech therapy. What are you finding the COVID patients most often need? I would say they most often need the physical therapist um, at the end of their stay. So when they're getting up and they're moving with their assistive device, usually a rolling walker, for instance, their endurance becomes the focus of our, our therapy. And sometimes actually we'll adjust the amount of therapy that they're getting. So instead of three hours of speech OTPT, we'll do two hours PT, one hour OT, for instance. So we do adjust it during the stay. At the beginning though, I think maybe OT and speech may take precedence. They're really focusing more on, on some of those basic ADLs, um, such as getting dressed and bathing, toileting. Again, these things that we take for granted, but that they have to kind of relearn how to do and build the endurance for. Um, so, and then throughout, as a physician, I'm following them and making sure that from a, a medical standpoint, nothing is interfering with therapy, that their oxygen weaning is going well. And thankfully, since we're attached to the hospital, we have such a supportive consulting service with hospitalists if we need them, with pulmonary specialists and infectious disease specialists as well, and cardiologists. As you've treated these COVID-19 patients who have come to the rehabilitation pavilion, what has their progress looked like as they've gone through treatment? It's been awesome. It's been really great. Um, this has been one of my one of the silver linings of this whole COVID crisis is seeing patients recover from this this illness. I would say the first three days, though, it's been very difficult. Um, even though it's clear that they're making gains, I say it's kind of like watching paint dry on a wall. For them, from a day-to-day -day standpoint, it's like, well, I can stand up for 20 seconds today compared to yesterday. But there tends to be a corner with these patients that they turn, and after that, they just take off. They're walking 100, 200 feet. They're ready to get the heck out of the hospital that they've been in for so long. And so it's been really... Um, it's been really nice to see that progress. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the rewarding nature of your work because recently tens of thousands of people online watched that video of a patient leaving the rehabilitation pavilion after 49 days at SMH, two weeks of that spent in rehab. And he's, of course, not the only patient who's gone home. What's that been like for your team? It's been really rewarding, I think. So that individual in, uh, I was able to take care of and so to see him from the beginning and then also read about him on the acute side and just hear his story and the way that the whole acute team came around him um, and his wife supported him, of course, with these visitor restrictions um, more remotely. To see him go through that rehab process, get back to a point where he felt comfortable and then watch him reunite with his loved one, um, with our whole team kind of surrounding him and providing him that support. Again, it just, it makes it worth it all the struggle that's been over the last two, three months, all the work and the 
the fear and the, the headache that there's been and kind of scrambling to adjust to the changing circumstances, it really feels like we have control um, and we're seeing good progress and good responses. Now, we just talked about the inpatient rehabilitation. Are these patients in need of outpatient therapy after they leave as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, like I said, there are different ways. Usually because we have some medical concerns, we may recommend, especially if they're not able to leave home, to have home health. Have a nurse come, check the oxygen levels, check their blood pressure, see how, if they have a stoma from where, let's say, had a tracheostomy, is that healing well? And then, of course, we can have the therapist come to the house, and that's great um, to make sure that they're getting along in their home environment. But the ultimate goal really is to get them to outpatient therapy, and there are different ways that you can kind of look at that. For instance, there are specialized, more cardiopulmonary endurance programs that focus on medical stability as you ratchet up that intensity of exercise and then giving you a regimented prescription for your normal exercise program. I think that that's probably the most effective in addition to just some basic cardiovascular exercise. So generally right now, we're not recommending anything past say moderate cardiovascular activity. And so the, uh, the standard recommendation is you're able to exercise while still carrying on a conversation somewhat comfortably with someone. What can some of the long-term effects for these COVID-19 patients and really any patient who has a prolonged hospital stay be? And right now, that's kind of a tricky question. Um, there's really three ways of looking at this. One is relying on past data, again, that they've done on acute respiratory distress syndrome, SARS. There have been several studies that have looked at that in rehab patients and then followed them three, six, 12 months out. And even then, their pulmonary function tests, their VO2 max levels were down by, say, 30, 35% in those patients. Right now, the preliminary studies that I've seen out of China and out of Italy, and then some of the kind of, not, not conjecture, but I guess anecdotal reports that I'm getting from our colleagues nationally and then, of course, here, is that we're seeing something similar. So they're still reporting a decrease compared to their baseline prior to the infection an increased level of fatigue, decreased level of endurance. But of course, it's too soon to really know further than that uh, how, what the long-term effects are gonna be on, on their lungs, on their heart, on their cognition. Uh, my hope is that not much with recovery, but for some of the severely hit patients, um, we'll have to kind of see. You just spoke about the fact that we're still learning so much about COVID-19. What has the learning curve been like for the SMH rehab team been like and what are you learning from other doctors throughout the country are you guys sharing experiences that's a really good question we do have a national academy of physical medicine and rehabilitation that has been publishing guidelines giving anecdotal reports um, i've been in touch with a couple of my colleagues but from a rehabilitation standpoint largely what we've been focusing on is coordination with our acute colleagues here so i'm part of uh, a covid leadership program that's been really established since day one, and it's, um, you know, including David Verinder and Jack Rodman, a lot of the, the leaders of the various specialties. And so at the beginning, we're meeting kind of every day, of course, with the changing crisis, and now we're able to back down on that. We've been coordinating everything from testing to how we're treating to the latest updates and research to transitioning to rehab and to subacute facilities and the troubleshooting between that, and it's been really helpful to 
get updates from them and also give them feedback from a rehabilitation standpoint. Um, we have just an excellent team. I've been really impressed by SMH's leadership and the coordination between the team members to tackle this crisis. So it, it, seem, it seems like it would have been more of a learning curve, but actually from the beginning, everyone's kind of been coordinating in a very smooth fashion, especially at our rehab center with our leadership. So our director of rehab, uh, Laura Magnuson, our vice president of post-acute services, um, uh, Maria Vitcarlo. Uh, and um, our nursing manager, Nicole McLean, uh, Mario Rowan, our, our therapy, uh, therapy manager, myself and the, the doctors and the nurse practitioners that work with me. Um, hey, FPG Rehab. Um, they, they've worked so hard to coordinate and make our environment a safe one, make the patients and our staff safe, um, and make sure that we're still treating these COVID patients properly, but addressing the crisis head on. So for instance, um, from the day one, we kind of sat together and said, what makes sense and what are some of the nationwide, nationwide guidelines? And then we've made adjustments as we've gone, usually more strict as we've gone. So we started off essentially um, looking at how rehab runs. A rehabilitation pavilion, an inpatient, it's really meant to bring people together. You have a gym with sometimes you know, 10, 20 people in it. Um, it, always interacting and, and being very close together. Um, the idea is to bring people together in a community way, both for eating and for education. Um, so we had to really adjust our strategies because that's almost the exact opposite of social distancing. So now the way that we do therapy, the way that we approach patients, and we've had to unfortunately back down a little bit on some of the, the programs that we offer that were more of a group environment where you really couldn't do that six feet of separation. And we've looked at the way that we prepare and protect ourselves. So everywhere from how we clean the rooms to what we're wearing and how we're cleaning, um, we're taking a very aggressive stance on that. And I think because of that, um, you know, essentially um, our, our rehabilitation pavilion has been there to treat COVID patients and not develop infections. The SMH Rehabilitation Pavilion also treats inpatient and outpatient, many patients who aren't COVID-19 patients. So. For those patients who have not had COVID-19, is it safe to come to SMH Rehab? Yeah, absolutely, and, and I can say that because I make myself go there and my, my staff, my, my partners, I tell them every day that it's okay to come to work, and it is. And the reason that it is is because we have a couple processes in place. So for instance, patients who don't have COVID that we're admitting, we take a very strict screening policy. So I, I'm not gonna go into all the details because it will bore you, but essentially I look at their respiratory symptoms. Do they have a fever? Um, do they have any symptoms of a viral pneumonia? Now, thankfully on the acute side, the infectious disease team, pulmonary team, the hospitalist teams do such a great job in terms of screening anyone that could potentially even fit in that vast array of different symptoms that COVID is presenting with. Um, but when they, when they come to us, you know, we additionally require at some times COVID extra screening as well. So because of our testing capacity, we're able to occasionally test if there's even a suspicion. So for non-COVID patients, we're screening very tightly to make sure that we don't bring them into our facility. And then for patients who have had COVID and come to us, so we, we have very strict requirements as well for that. We ask that, for instance, that they test negative for COVID two times, separated by at least, you know, 24, 48 hours that they have some period of time from their, their illness, which is generally at least a week or two, several weeks, at least 14 days in most cases. Um, and with that, 
we're probably being a little bit overboard. Some recent research is showing that perhaps even, you know, seven days after contracting, you may not, even if you're positive on PCR, you may, you may not be spreading. But we tend to take a very strict um, requirement because we want to make sure that there are no cases in our rehab facility. So that's been successful so far, and um, the COVID patients that have come have come done really well, and we continue to, to strive to keep our patients safe, our COVID patients recovering, and our staff um, safe as well. Dr. Alexander Bayorek, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure, Allison. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, who has joined us for this very important episode of HealthCast. For more information about COVID-19 at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, please visit smh.com COVID-19 to get the very latest news. We encourage you all to stay informed, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit smh.com. Follow us on your favorite social media network.